Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we are at some point going to finish this chapter this year. Those of you who are tracking with us realize that we have been here for a good amount of time, and that is on purpose. We thought as a pastoral team that it would be important to really address some issues regarding the church when we have this picture of the church developing and as it has started here in Acts chapter 2. If you remember the timeline, Jesus, after he died, he spent 40 days with his followers before he ascended to heaven, and then another 10 days until Pentecost came, where the Holy Spirit came in a visible form. And then at this point, we have the establishment of what we know as the church. And this season of time in the church, I believe, again, it's my opinion, but I believe this was the healthiest time in all of church history. So let's talk 2,000 years. This is the healthiest moment we see the church. And again, that's my opinion. Other people may disagree with me, but we have such an organic way that the church interacted, what was important during these days, and what they focused on. And so Peter here at Pentecost stands up to a mass of people, and he communicates truth. And we've been working through, not necessarily just uh, the the order of the verses, but with uh, Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, we kind of took the sections around his message to really highlight those things. Uh, But what we have here, uh, we started, I think it was literally about a month ago, in verse 41, we have the establishment of the church, and what I mentioned was probably the healthiest moment in church history. So let's look at verse 41, if you would. It says, So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple... And breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God, having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so we have here just this wonderful picture of a local church when God established it, those original followers of Christ with the new souls that God added on the day of Pentecost as Peter preached the gospel to them, we have this season of time where it tells us really what a church should be like. And so as we've been working through some of this material, a little bit will be reviewed this morning, but I wanted to make sure we understand, um, because we've had a lot of folks come into the church in the last couple of years that perhaps maybe haven't heard some of these things. I just want to make sure we understand from a corporate perspective what our desires here at Calvary are. And I want to start with just simple ideas of what is a healthy church. Well, we believe in God-centered ministry versus man-centered ministry. And we see that there is this perspective in the world today, as far as the church spectrum is concerned, where you have a variety of ways that people do worship, and do church. And so I just want to make sure you understand our perspective. I'm not here today to, um, unless it's biblical error, I'll be glad to call that out, but unless, there's, there's a whole spectrum, there's people who do it differently. I want to focus on how we do it and why we do it, the, the philosophy behind what drives us. We believe in God-centered ministry versus man-centered ministry. We have experiences with the Word of God, resulting in exalting worship. 
That's what was happening in verse 2. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. That was their devotion. It was to the Word of God. We understand in 1 Timothy that the church is the pillar and the support of the truth. So we come together around the Word of God, and the result of that is our eyes are turned to our God, and we exalt Him in worship. So God is at the center of our worship. We don't want to be at the center. Do we enjoy it? Yes, hopefully. Do we get some benefits from worship? Yes, I hope so. But we don't come to the table. Let's see how happy we can make people. That's not our primary purpose today. Our purpose today is to honor and glorify God and worship him because he deserves all glory and all honor. We get this from the scripture. And we simply say it around here. This is not original with me. I was taught this years ago uh, back when I was able to be in seminary in the first ministry that I served in. God's glory is the motivation and measurement of our ministry. It's God's glory that drives us. It's why we get up. It's the, it's the why behind everything. We try to evaluate then success. Was God glorified? If so, yes. We don't have to worry about numbers. We don't have to worry about the church you know, developing all kinds of programs and things like that. We just need to focus on the glory of God and his word and let God work in his people and be thankful. We have scripture that kind of support this in other places. Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Well, that kind of summarizes it. So when it says all things, church falls under that category. So because it is from God and it is through God and it is to him, all things are for his glory. So that kind of, we could stop right here. That's why we say God's glory is our motivation and measurement for ministry. Whether therefore you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Again, church falls under the all category. It's one of those subsets of life. We do it to the glory of God. To him be the glory, specifically speaking in Ephesians 3, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. It was always meant for God to get the glory in the church, for Jesus Christ to be lifted high, and it will always be the case for him to be glorified and lifted high. So that is primarily how we describe what it means to be God-centered. We live and do his will and glorify him by doing the work that he has called us to do. Jesus is the ultimate example of this. Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth to live for his Father's glory. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus lived a God-centered life. If Jesus, our Messiah, lived a God-centered life, then we should conclude that that is the pathway because we are to follow in his steps. We are supposed to live a God-centered life. Our food, our sustenance, Jesus says, is to do the will of him who sent me. As well, I glorified you on earth, this is Jesus talking, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. So, as he got towards the end of his ministry, as he was headed to the cross, he understood that his purpose was over once he completed and finished the work, but it was for his Father's glory, the work that you have given me to do. And because I'm doing that work, I'm glorifying you. So we serve the Lord and we work so that we can glorify God. Again, Jesus is our example. Now I want to talk about, uh, this This is a writer that wrote with the idea of uh, dating the church, uh, so to speak. But I, I, what's helpful about this book, I'm just pulling this small section out, is, is some of the attitudes that tend to develop. And I want you to understand that, that I realize that we go through seasons of time. Some of you have been a part of Calvary since the beginning. There's founding members here today. Some of you have just joined in the last few months. So in the season of time, let's say you've been here for 30 years. Because of life and the flow, and I I get it. I'm, I'm realistic enough to know that you're not always going to be super excited about the church. That's why we always go back to the truth. We always go back to the truth to remind us about priorities, what we're supposed to be living for, because we do go through the ups and downs, and and I realize that. So we're just once again reminding everyone that it is is right and appropriate to be excited about God's church, and, and we have to resist the attitudes that sometimes 
tend to creep in. And this is one. If, if we think that church is about us, then we will start to, to our, our desires will start to change and, and we really won't focus on God's glory and the service that he wants us to do while we are here, a part of this local assembly. Sometimes we can get to the point where it's all about the social interaction. Again, that's a benefit of being part of a family. I don't want to take that away. And, you know, we want to be a family. We want to have good relationships. But, but that's not the primary reason that we're here. We want to build each other up spiritually more than just having good social connections. You can get those social connections anywhere. Programs, those tend to be something that sometimes people are attracted to a church because of their programs. And I understand that, but I think there's a bigger perspective to have of why you should be attracted to the church. And my suggestion is, based on the previous comments and the scripture, it's God's glory that should attract you to a local assembly as well. Sometimes it's the activities or, or the flow of life. There are many things, but, but we, those things are all good. I get it. But if, if it becomes about those instead of God's glory then we're, we're really not here doing what God wants us to do. So we have to be very, very careful that we don't let a me-centered attitude slip in and really have an effect because what it happens is it can hurt the health of a church. Number two, an independent attitude. An independent attitude can be described as feels obligation on some level. So you know you need to be part of a church. You realize that the, you know, the scripture really doesn't have a category for an unchurched Christian. If you look throughout the New Testament, you won't find it. The Ethiopian eunuch probably is the only one, but he, we only have the snapshot of when he came to know the Lord. So there's really not an unchurched Christian category in the scriptures. So you know there's this sense of, I need to be part of a church. However, there's the attitude that can kind of seep, seep in. is like, you know what, I'm just going to kind of do my own thing. I don't want to get too involved. I, I, I have a lot of other things going on in life, and, and I don't want to get too close to people because I've been hurt before. And I say regularly, and, and try to apologize, if you have been hurt by a church, I am so sorry. I realize that happens and it cuts to the core because church can be at times the people who you trust the most. And then when you understand that the gospel is supposed to be controlling things and the love of Christ and when the love of Christ is not there and you get hurt, it can be very damaging. I understand that. But that doesn't mean that you give up on the church. It means that you realize everybody's broken, everybody's messy. That's why we need to be here. That's why we have the gospel. The gospel gives us hope for a future. And so we, we have to convince ourselves from the truth, not from how we feel, but we need to get involved in people's lives so that we can be and have an impact on other people. We don't want to be independent. We want to come together and, and be a part of a community. And then as well, sometimes this develops over time, and, and we'll talk more about it in the moments to follow, but tends to have a critical attitude. Um, what can the church do for me, that consumer menta uh, mentality? What is the best product for the price of my Sunday morning? So sometimes we can get to the place where, you know, it's really a subset of that me-centered attitude, but, but we look at it more of, okay, I've got this amount of time and this amount of margin in my life to serve in a church, and we evaluate the church based on what I can get out of it. And, and, and really, if, if we're doing it from that perspective, we're going to, unless the church is just perfect in every way, and I have not found one of those yet, um, and, unless the church is perfect, you're going to probably be tempted to be critical and say, well, they don't do that very good. And, you know, this isn't really good over here. And, and you know, this could be more organized and, and these people could be more friendly. And you see how an attitude just kind of seeps in that really does not portray what I think the Bible portrays. And that is it's about God's glory. And if there's a problem, why not like roll up your sleeves and all right, let's let's get involved. Let's change it. Let's be a part. Not isolate, critique, and, and really focus on self. So we have to be very careful that these attitudes don't seep in. And in a man-centered church, so many times, because the philosophy of the church is, well, what does man like? Well, if man likes this, then we're gonna add this, that's how we're going to design the church. And, and what happens is when man stops liking what you design, like what I've just described— 
you tend to have a revolving door. So people come in the front door and as quickly leave because it's not exactly what they like. And so you have to really come back to what does the Bible say about this whole idea? And, and so we want to make sure that we are God-centered primarily. The second thing is we believe in people-oriented ministry versus program-oriented ministry. If you look back in the text in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, um, it says they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So the second aspect was this fellowship, this relational aspect that they had within, each, uh, within the group that really helped them to bond together and grow together. They would take meals together. They would spend time in prayer together. And, and it goes on to say that they end up uh, really sharing with one another. And I have, as I mentioned before, the, the specific context of them selling their possessions and giving was because you had all these people descending on Jerusalem at the same time, and you had uh, people who were probably in great need because they had been te- there temporarily, but they've stayed. Perhaps they had gotten saved and got to change some things in their life. So you had people who needed things, and so there was a great sense of, of community. But it's, it's the focus on people not programs. Now, I realize, um, and this is the other way to say it, experience with other believers resulting in edifying relationships, and that's what we see here in Acts chapter 2. Now, I realize um, that, that programs are so helpful. They actually are there to facilitate discipleship, but you could strip everything away as we see here. I mean, think about this moment in the church, which is why I call it the healthiest. They didn't have programs, right? They had not developed yet. It was literally the Word, the Apostles' teaching, fellowship, relationships, prayer, meals together. I mean, we're talking very simple, organic church life. Now, through the ages, a number of things have developed that have been so helpful, like Christian education, uh, music ministries have developed all kinds of things along those lines, children's ministries, youth ministries. I'm not against programs. We've had programs happening since the doors opened this morning. But programs are only here to facilitate discipleship. And if a program runs its course, we change it. If it's not facilitating discipleship anymore, we change it. We, we've been doing these small group dinners uh, for the last few years, and we used to call them Dinner for Eight, and um, we, we had a sign-up this year, and, and we, we took time to just really try to emphasize coming out of the COVID season, it would be great for people, new people to get to know one another and groups to form. And, and there was a, th- a pretty good turnout, um, not, not like previous years, but then even throughout, it's some, sometimes the attitude about these dinners is like, ah. Oh. And, and when we start talking about it in staffing, it's like, you know what? Maybe it's a program that we, we shouldn't do anymore because it's not, it's not accomplishing. We think it still could accomplish great things. And for the groups that are meeting, it is really good things are happening. But, but we started that program to facilitate discipleship. And when discipleship no longer is happening and it's not helpful to the church, then we change And that's the problem that we see in most churches. They hold on to the programs, and when the programs spend, you know, they they, they go through their life and they end up dying, then people get upset because changes have to be made because now we're in crisis. And when we're in crisis, people start getting frustrated, and then they get critical, and then they start getting independent. And you see how this goes real unhealthy really, really fast. So we must go back to the why It's God's glory, and God's glory alone, that is why we do what we do. Process-focused versus event-focused. I'll say just quickly, we believe in progressive sanctification here at Calvary, that you come to know Christ, and he starts the work, and and then he completes it at the day when we see him face-to-face. And so this process of sanctification happens. And so throughout church history, there's been seasons of time where events became more of the highlighted things, like conferences and and camps, and and I'm for all of those things as well, just like I'm for programs. But when we, we hang our hat on, like, the big moments like revival meetings and things like that, that that's when God really works. Um, we've missed the whole process of, of how God described change in the scriptures. It's one step after the other, progressive sanctification with God's word. So we take the word every week, we share it together, and we hope 
that God will, we pray that God will accomplish his purposes and he changes us. So every week we want to have an experience with him, not just on the big weeks or the big weekends. We'll have those and those are great, but we want to make sure we're focused on the right stuff. So that's kind of where uh, I know I'm doing a lot of review, but this is so important to me and, and I'll tell you why. Um, because recently I've been listening to uh, a number of podcasts and, and one that just um, has, has kind of like caused me to do a lot of evaluation um, and, and then uh, able to go to a conference recently that was very helpful for me just to kind of um, see movements over a couple, few decades now. And, and, and I've just been evaluating how crucial it is um, for us to follow the simple plan of the scriptures. Um, and, and, and I believe this so much that I actually texted my ment- one of my mentors yesterday, Dave Doran, and I, and I just said to him, um, I, I said, I'm so thankful for the foundation. Well, I started out with God's path in my life because he, he took me to Detroit and, and I was able to um, be a part of, of that church and be mentored there and then the, the seminary. Um, and that helped form a foundation for me that was so crucial because I'm the kind of personality, you may not know this about me, but I would have been really attracted to the kind of cutting edge philosophy of ministry and kind of like glitz and glamour back in my 20s. I would have like, okay, let's the newest, greatest thing to get people in the church. I probably would have been attracted to that. But in God's providence, he took me through the path where, where I was given a foundation, which is literally this right here. And, and, and after doing some of the study and, and things I've experienced recently, I am so convinced of, of this philosophy of ministry even more so. Because the cutting edge, it comes and goes. And most of the time, what you see is not really the case. Behind the scenes is something completely different. And, and, and we have just simple truth. Okay, what is a church supposed to be? It's supposed to be a group of people that are committed to God's glory, and they're committed to each other, and they, they live life together on some level, and through that they grow, and then God causes their witness to, to expand, and other people come and are joined to that. I was so encouraged this week, and the guy I was talking to has no idea what it meant to me, but... Um, our church in Florida, um, we brought on a guy who he worked with youth for a while. He's now planting or kind of revitalizing a church in the other side of Tampa, uh, was sent out from Keystone. And I saw him recently, and I was talking to him. In the matter of a 15-minute conversation, he dropped um, this philosophy right here. He, he talked about God's glory being the motivation of ministry. Un- unsolicited. He was just talking about church and how it was going. He dropped that. And then he dropped one other thing that, that I'll be talking about here in a little bit. And I, and I was thinking, this is what it's about. Here's a guy, the next generation, younger than me, in his late 20s, now pastoring a church in New Tampa. I was taught biblical foundation for church God sent me to Tampa. I was able to have an influence on a group of people and a church down there. That church has sent now this guy out to another church. And, and people know it so much, it just comes out when they talk. That is what we should be thinking and, and believing about the local church. And I'm so convinced that I want Calvary Baptist Church to be here long after I'm gone. You have churches in this area that they were established, you know, early 1900s, even earlier. And, and I want Calvary to be here. I want to, in a sense, work myself out of a job. <laughs> I, I, want, I want it to be a place where there's a team of people who are healthy and growing, and, and they understand church. And, and so for the next several generations, you say, why are you spending so much time on this? Because if you cut me, I'm going to bleed local church. It's at the center of what God is doing in this time and place. And I understand you say, well, that's good for you, but I've got a lot of things going on in my life. And I'm telling you, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, the local church should be one of those really big things you have going on in your life. And when you get to the end of your life, looking back, 
What you should be thinking is, how did I serve God's church? Was my food to do the will of him who sent me, like Jesus said? And I realize that that COVID was rough on us, but that doesn't mean that we need to just give in to any kind of selfishness or laziness when it comes to local church. God has brought us through that, and we need to serve him faithfully in the days ahead. We need to be faithful to his body, his church. And it is for his glory and his glory alone. The last thing we see here in verse 47 is that there was this opportunity for the world to see what was happening. And then they were exposed to the gospel and God was adding to their number. So hopefully... As we come together as God's people, God's doing something in our lives where we then can share with others, hey, you've got to come see our church. You've got to come see our church. You've got to see what God's doing. And, and have the opportunity to share the gospel with them through these moments. Now, I want to just talk uh, as well about... Um, the importance of preventing the decline of the health of a church. So what happened here in Acts 2, and then even in the book of Acts, we see where people started, their opinions started to develop about different issues and things, and and the splintering started to take place, and you fast forward 2,000 years, and you have what we have today. Across this upstate area, you have hundreds of different churches of all kinds of different perspectives and all kinds of splintering. But here we have just simple gospel, simple church, and and we want to stay as close to the scripture as possible. So when people come into the church, you may not have heard me say this because maybe you haven't taken our new members class or maybe you were here. Uh, I've done this before, but maybe you missed the the time together. But I, I think we should regularly do a baggage check when it comes to the local church. Rare is the person who opens their Bible and searches the Scripture for what the Scripture says about a church and then uses that evaluation to then decide on a local assembly. Rare is that person. Most people absorb experiences and they evaluate church through their absorbed experiences. And so what happens is people come into a church with their bags and, and maybe I've asked you to do a baggage check and you thought you did, but then those bags, they, 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 you know, we want to take them right back sometimes. And in those bags can be really good experiences or they can be really bad experiences. I talked about church hurt and that's real and, and I understand that. But sometimes we can hold on to that. We tuck those away in our bags and so we get to the next place that God takes us to and we're not going to trust anybody because, because I've been hurt and I'm, I'm just not going there again. Or on, the, on this side, or maybe a different bag, it's all these wonderful experiences where it's like, I had the best season of my spiritual life in this one little church in this area of the country, and everything they did was wonderful, and every time you come to anything in the next place, I'm going to compare it to that one experience. Not the Bible, but the experience. And so it's crucial for us to actually go to the Scripture, like Acts 2, Find out what should be included in a local church. And actually, when you scale it down, it's pretty simple. Now, there's a lot of applications that can take place, and that's where all the preferences come in. But when you just strip it down, it's like, what does God want inside of a church? He wants us to live for his glory, feast on his word, and love each other. Like, it gets really, really simple. But so many times through church history, we have really... Uh, made it a problem. And so this ends up being kind of the motto, and I've said it before and I say it jokingly, but this is the, these are the last seven words of a dying church. We've always done it that way. Well, that doesn't mean that you have to keep doing it that way. Again, I'm not talking about biblical error. I'm talking about ways that, that, that churches develop and change through the years and when people hold on to those things that, that really, it's, not, it's an application to Scripture, not the Scripture itself, you end up 
where you see churches dying. And, and, and I, there's a huge movement of revitalizing churches across America today in all different denominations and, and sectors because of churches that were established and people who held on to the wrong things and, and, and they ended up holding on to, to the applications, not the actual scripture, and the churches just died once, one after the other. And so you have all of these buildings that are empty, or there's a few people still in them holding on, thinking they're holding on to what's really important and actually completely misunderstood about the scripture. And so there's this huge movement to revitalize churches. We don't want to go there, right? We want to we stay healthy. So we have to constantly be evaluating. We have to understand what is happening, where is God working. When we get together as a pastoral team at the beginning of the year, one of the questions we ask is, where is God working in our church? And we start to identify the areas where, where, God is, where we see God really working and, and touching lives and people are growing and changing. And we, we start our evaluation from there. And, and we want to constantly be willing to change if that's what God has. Now, I'm just going to give you a few things that hopefully we can think about. Um, probably won't get through the whole list today, but uh, I want to make sure we understand. This is probably the most crucial one. Confusing form and function. Again, not original with me. People have said this, you know, uh, for quite a long time, and they've said it different ways, but this is just a way that I was taught in seminary that it was very helpful, and I thought uh, I've just kept it with it through, through the years. But they confuse form and function. Um, let me just kind of say this phrase. Maybe that'll help you. When people get tied to particular forms of ministry rather than the functions, then the church's growth will be stunted. When people get tied to particular forms of ministry rather than the functions, then the church's growth will be stunted. We will stop being healthy, and we will be on our way in decline. We don't want that. We, we have been so thankful for how God has worked over the last five years to revitalize Calvary, and, and we want to keep growing. We want to keep changing. We want to reach our community. And so we have to make sure that we understand this right here, what I'm talking about, because if not, it can get, it can get unhealthy really quick. What are the functions? Functions are the direct biblical instruction given to the church. So if you opened your New Testament and you just did a study from where the church started here in Acts 2 all the way through, you would find there are certain things that God said specifically. These are the direct commands in regards to a church. It's really what the church is supposed to do. So I'll just give you, for instance, 1 Timothy. There is supposed to be uh, the public reading of Scripture. I just read the text this morning. We've had public prayer. Those are two things that the church is supposed to do when it assembles together. The forms are the methods by which the church fulfills these functions. So let's take public reading of Scripture. I typically do it right around my message. Sometimes we do it earlier in the, with the screen. We do it different different times. Last week we had different, you know, throughout the, throughout the service, but there's a public reading of the Word of God. That's the direct biblical man, the function. The form is how we do it. So you may have some people who say, boy, I wish we had someone stand up. They did it the same way every week, and they stand up, and they read a passage of Scripture. That would make you feel like we have fulfilled the command. But I'm telling you, the, the application of just that one thing is where churches can have a variety. But, but we sometimes get really focused on the forms, and we hold the forms really in the position of the functions, and that's where the problems settle in. How the church puts the functions into practice. So, let's talk about functions in the Scripture. They're normally very general in the New Testament. The forms, however, they're often not described. When they are, sometimes they're incomplete, and sometimes they're actually changing quite a bit. So what happens is you have very little information, really. If you were to put a list of functions that the church is supposed to do every time it comes together, read the Bible, sing the Bible, pray the Bible, you know, I could, you know, greet with biblical love. There's very few of them. But the applications are very, very vast. And when we start focusing on the applications and not the actual commands, 
then we start to get really unhealthy. Let's just take meeting together. Hebrews chapter 10 says we are supposed to meet regularly as a church. That is a function. That is a direct biblical command. Now, from there, there's some variety. We see the practice after the resurrection was on the first day of the week. John 20, Acts 20, 1 Corinthians 16. They met on the first day of the week. But there's a lot of flexibility with that. So if you were to, you know, um, someone actually told me this morning, they missed Easter Sunday because they thought the service was 1030. They didn't open the email, right? They said, this is the first time I've ever missed Easter Sunday in my whole life. But there's some flexibility. We typically meet at 10.30. Sometimes we change it. And that's okay to change. But there are other places around this world that that would not be feasible. So if you were to go on the mission field today, I've been to places in Africa, they couldn't meet until the afternoon because you have people who walk over an hour to church. And by the time they did their morning uh, responsibilities around their house and got their household food ready, and by the time they walked to church... Right? So the meeting times, it's very flexible. But what happens is people start to get so set on when that time, like when it's going to start, that, that they, move, they lose sight on, well, actually, it's, we just got to get together. <laughs> like, we got to meet. And I could go on and on and on about the variety of ways that this has caused problems in the church. And I want to talk now to prevent, and I want to keep talking about it, so that we prevent problems along these lines. Just yesterday, I was listening to a podcast, and believe it or not, in the 1500s, when the, um, I think the Book of Common Prayer was translated from Latin to English, people got so upset about it. They actually fought about when when it actually went from Latin to English. Like they could actually understand more what they were worshiping, but because it was so different, they fought over it. And you say, oh, that's crazy. Well, the things we fight over today are crazy. We're kind of all made up of the same stuff, and we make the same mistakes. Here's another one. You know that some of the reformers thought the organ was of the devil? Let that sink in. Imagine living in the days of the Reformation and some of the loudest voices of the day, and I'm not going to name who they were, some of the loudest voices of the day would not allow the organ. In fact, one in Scotland Prevented. There was only one organ in the whole country of Scotland. How that one slipped in, I don't know. Now, we still have an organ, and Christiana ser- serves us so faithfully in it, and it fills this room. It's so helpful. But there's a lot of churches today who would say the organ is out of date. So we went from a form an instrument, one day it was of the devil. Do you see how we cannot hold on to forms? They will come and go. We must hold on to the functions of Scripture. So think about how many hundreds of years the Reformation was and them fighting over music. Fast forward to today, and we're still... Fighting over music. And I think we probably always will be. But we have to be so careful. Because so much of the forms of ministry fall under the category. Again, it's the application. So much of the forms of ministry, it falls under a preference. A personal preference. And when we allow our forms or our preferences to trump... Really what the church is about and what in a hundred years, do you want to be known for the person who that you were so set on your preference that, that that's where you stuck your ground? Or do you want to know as someone who finished their race for the with the gospel in mind and a healthy church and for God's glory?
again, I'm, no, I, I, as a, from a pastor's heart, I'm trying to shepherd us well. I'm trying to encourage us that I understand. And, it, you know, if you heard the conversations I have on a regular basis with people about music. So we have people come in, and they'll come in for a little while, and they'll say, you're so traditional. I just, I just, it's not for us. And I get it. And then I'll have, within a day or two, I'll have the exact opposite conversation from someone who will say, the music is way too contemporary, and we don't like this, or we don't like that. Like, that's what we hear on a regular basis. And that's part of our, our job and responsibility. And we're supposed to, you know, shepherd everyone well and care for everyone well. But can I just tell you that, that it is so crucial we understand from a biblical perspective, we are supposed to sing. That's the direct biblical command. Songs and hymns and spiritual songs. So there's a whole bunch of categories there. And that's what is reflected in our worship services. And there's a, a reflection of, of styles in our worship service. And we've kind of found a niche that we're not, you know, this church like that one across town or this church like that across town, but that's kind of who we are. But when we allow our preferences to become so important, sometimes we actually hurt people. And sometimes we don't even know we're hurting people because we say things or we write things on a public platform. And sometimes when we write things on a public platform, you don't really understand the, the tone. You don't understand the heart behind the person. It's just like straight facts or information, and it goes out there, and it goes out. You can't, it's hard to get back. And so, you know, th- there's occasions where that happens, and one happened recently, and, and I mention it because it, it involved more than one church member. But a song that, that we sing here, um, was, was put on social media as someone's preference and, and opinion. And then other people started commenting. And, and, and I understand, it may not be what you like. But some of the reasonings behind it were reasons that, that I've heard before. The repetition, it's shallow. This, but I, for every current song that people say, I could give you multiple examples of old hymns with repetition and shallow word. I, I, I just can. I, I've done the study. And then you take the scripture and you have the book of Psalms. You have one psalm that's the same phrase is repeating 16 times. Your loving kindness is everlasting. Which is a song. And I, I just wonder sometimes. Because the very song that was mentioned... I actually know someone who uses it as a prayer. They use it in their prayer life. I also know there's a six-year-old in this church that loves that song, and they love to sing that song. And, and I don't know if we totally think about the big picture when we use our words and we say things. And as a pastor, I'm trying to take this moment, because we're at a season of Healthy Church in Acts, And I don't want to be the church that dies in 30 years. I I, I want Calvary to be the church that will be thriving for the next 100 years. And the moment we start to err biblically, please communicate and talk. But if it's just a preference, can we love each other? Can we choose to say, you know, it's not my favorite, but maybe it's someone else's favorite, and that's okay. I really am burdened that we understand that this issue right here, form and function, it has destroyed churches through the years. And so we have to be super careful that we literally are going to the Bible for 
like we're going to hold to the functions, the direct biblical commands. And I've said since I've gotten here, Calvary may not be the church for everyone. That's fine. There are plenty options. But we, what we do want as a pastoral team, we want Calvary to be a place where it's about God's glory. First and foremost. And it's about the scriptures. And we lift the scriptures high. And when we do that, we love each other. With all of our differences, with all of our perspectives, all of our backgrounds, all of our opinions, we love each other with gospel love. So that when the world sees us, you know, from time to time, even in our own family, we have unsaved people and unsaved family members who are friends with us on Facebook. And and we're actually nervous sometimes that because of what Christians will say on Facebook. Like, they give the gospel a really bad perspective. And it's like, I hope that person did not see that. And I realize people don't mean to. It, it, it's not about the, 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 the motivation behind it. it. They don't mean it. I get it. I'm just challenging us to be more careful. And really think before we say, is it helpful? Is it really going to build? Is it, is it going to be a benefit to God's church? Like I said, this moment when I believe the church was the healthiest, it was about the word, relationships, prayer, and living life together. It was really, really simple. And some days, it's like, oh, I would love to just strip all the programs away and all, just like, let's just simplify it all. And know this, <laughs> the last place I want Calvary Baptist Church to be known for is that I'm the pastor here. And I mean that wholeheartedly. Because after what I've experienced and seen and listened to over the like kingdom building is of the flesh. That's why we have a team and we make all of our decisions together. And I want every single one of these guys to be lifted on the same level that I am. Because I'm going to go someday. And I want the church to stay here. And I want it to be healthy, whatever God has in that path. I want the gospel to be present for a very, very long time, as long as God, in his sovereign will, allows it. So it is not about people and anyone's agenda. It is about God and his glory and lifting up the word of God high. That's why we are here. And I cannot, I, I don't think I could be more serious this morning about it. And so as we close, I want to just, I want to ask you, what do you want in 30 years from this place? Do you want it to look like all of your personal preferences? Or do you want it to be a place where the word of God is still lifted high, the gospel is preached, and relationships are strong? A lot of that depends on how we act for the next 30 years. And so, please consider... If you need to check a few bags, now's the time to do it. If you need to recalibrate your perspective on a few things, now would be a good time. If you need to put down a personal preference so you can better love for gospel purposes, let's do that. Because it's not about us. It's about God and his glory. Would you bow with me as we close?
in the quietness of the moment, as the piano begins to play, I would just ask you to consider your perspective on these things. And maybe you have lost sight a little bit of the functions of Scripture and you've allowed the forms to kind of be in a place of priority that they really shouldn't be. Again, there's no big changes coming down the pike. That, like, what you see is what you get. But from a pastoral team that loves you and cares for you, we want this to be a healthy place. And in order for that to be the the situation, we, we have to go back to God's glory. It is the motivation and the measurement of success. Not how we feel when we leave this place today. But was God glorified through the process? So spend a little time in evaluation. Our God in heaven, you tell us in your word that you sent your son and you purchased the church with your son's own blood. So that makes it extremely valuable to you. You also tell us that the church was in your mind from eternity past. And so when you established it, you established it with great priority. And as followers of Jesus who have been adopted into this family, into your church, it is so crucial that we view it correctly. So God, would you help us to constantly go back to why we're here? We're here for your glory. Because from you and through you and to you are all things for your glory, for all generations. So please strip away our selfishness. Please strip away our pride and give us a heart that loves your church, wants to faithfully serve it, and long for the day when all the peoples, all your peoples from every ethnic group and every tongue and tribe and nation, we will sit at your feet and all the differences will be stripped away. And we will literally be there saying to you, worthy, 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 over and over and over again. Because God, you are worthy worthy of all glory and honor forever and ever. Amen.